What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Fresh Podcast, where we bring you everything fresh in entertainment. I'm your host, Drew Romefield, and joining with me again is my good friend, Seth. Hello. Hey. And today, we're going to be talking about Christopher Nolan and the movies he um, is most famous for. He's done a lot of work, a lot of different producing and different other roles, but we're talking about arguably probably his most popular um, he's probably the best director at making the audience think, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. Like a lot of his, you know, you never really put on a Christopher Nolan movie just be like, oh yeah, I'll just have it on in the background. Like, you know, it's a very, he's a very engaging director and he's, he likes playing with um, the audience, like interpretation of what's actually happening. Yeah. Keeping them confused. Yeah, the best way I think I can think I uh, I can describe like a Nolan movie is like it's a lot like watching like a logic puzzle and you're just trying to figure it out. Yeah, you don't and you don't really get the full story until it's like completely over, and then yeah. which which makes it very good because a lot of his movies have a lot of rewatchability. Oh yeah, like I watched Memento the first time and I I think I'm gonna have to watch it again honestly. Yeah. I almost want to watch that movie in reverse now, just because. That's actually a good idea. Yeah. Just watch it, watch it backwards, watch a scene, and then go back, watch a scene, go back, watch a scene. But yeah, I mean, a lot of also his credit can't be just for him because a lot of his stories are written by his brother, uh, I think Jonathan Nolan. Yeah. He has written like of the movies that we're going to talk about. He wrote. Or at least helped wrote. Um, I think three or four. I think he only. Um, I don't remember about Dark Knight, but he wrote Memento. He helped wrote Inception. I believe he also helped wrote Interstellar. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Um, but yeah, okay. So let's get started with. And you know, I feel like it's safe to start with. He's probably most popular. Uh, movies, especially the second one, uh, the Dark Knight trilogy, all written, screenplay, and directed by him. But the one everyone really likes to talk about is the Dark Knight from two thousand eight. Arguably the best version of the Joker, and probably the best version of Batman that we've seen on cinema. I guess I'm safe to say that. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, I mean, like, just talking about the Joker alone, Heath Ledger, like, that is now the standard by, like, we hold almost every Joker to. No, it's, he very much, he, he at the same time reinvented the role, but still kept some things classic, obviously true inspiration. Um, one thing that I've always, like, found interesting about The Dark Knight, if it, it's, I think it's the only movie I've ever seen to have character analysis in its own movie. Because most, yeah. most of the time, like, you'll watch and it's like, oh, this could represent this, but it's like, no, they actually very... They spell it out that says, I represent chaos, you represent order, we're opposites. I'm like, oh, okay, just leave nothing to the imagination. <laughs> just tell them. Yeah, I mean, I really like that, that the... Uh, I think that's what makes the Joker so memorable, is, like, for how chaotic he is, he's also very reflective about his role in everything. And I don't think we see that a lot with Joker, usually, at least in this medium, like with film. Yeah. You know, everyone's kind of... We definitely never saw a Joker like this before, but then after this, like, I feel like everyone's tried to imitate it in some way. Um, we've had the... We've had the multiple backstories, um, and I like that that it's like he does, he probably doesn't even know where he came from, um, but that's something that has been taken from the cops. And that's a really interesting element, is that it's just every person he meets, he tells a different story to, because it doesn't really at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where he came from, you know, that's not the point. He doesn't that he doesn't need to be a straightforward, easy narrative. He loves the chaos, so it would make sense that he's like, no, I want to have my have the enemy be confused. Yeah, it's almost like Joker. 
I feel like in the movie Dark Knight, it's almost like the Joker is doing his best to like draw attention away from himself as a person. It's like it doesn't really matter where I came from or what I'm supposed to necessarily represent. It's more about what I do and what my actions force you into. Because yeah. like one of my favorite like little like bits of dialogue is like the last scene with him and like uh, Batman where he's telling him, like, you know, did you think I was really going to risk the fight for Gotham's soul, like, in a fist fight? Because, mm-hmm. like, every, to him, it was never about him personally. It was about basically kind of, to him, exposing what the city really yeah. was like to Batman. And it kind of is a very proud moment of where a prisoner comes up and he makes the decision. It's like, no, we're not killing each other. Yeah, that's, oh, it's so, it's such a that's good, unfair. that whole sequence is great. Yeah, that whole, the whole movie, and that whole movie kind of has the themes of, like, of choice, and I think that was kind of the idea behind The Dark Knight, is, like, that you can always, every decision you'll come to or get up to, there'll be, like, a choice. You can take the easy, more chaotic one, or the actual right one. And, you know, sometimes there aren't only two, but that's, the entire movie kind of has been revolved around Batman choosing, like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to choose to revolve around my code and choose to try to be better. And Joker is like, no, you don't need to just do whatever feels right. Yeah. I feel like, uh, real quick, I I just want to add it in about this. I feel like this is the best part to point out his, like, there, like some of the, I guess you could say the Nolanisms um, that he does. So like one thing that Nolan seems to love to do is with camera angles, purposely mess with the audience's perception of like what is going on. And one of those is like one of the choices Batman has to make. Like between, for example, when he's given the choice between either save Harvey or save Rachel. Like, a lot of the shots, and, like, even the way he speaks, it seems to suggest that, like, oh, he's gonna go for Rachel. And then that reveal with Harvey, it's just... It's so... It's pretty brutal. Yeah, that's a pretty messed up way to do it. One kind of... weird thing about the movie that I never did get... um, Maybe I just didn't understand it, but I've watched a couple times. um, Is the story of Harvey and why he doesn't also like really hate the joker because there's that scene where like he sees him in the hospital and his first reaction is to like try to fight him but he's bolted down and then after that one conversation he's like oh yeah it is batman's fault but he should also hate both of you like that doesn't it didn't excuse you (laughs) yeah the joker i never i think it's go ahead no i was like i can kind of see why i would hate them but it's like i don't I just reemphasize that. It's like, it doesn't, you should hate both of them, not just Joker. Well, this is the point where he starts leaving it up to chance, isn't it? Because basically, when he's facing with Joker, he doesn't let him off the hook. He flips the coin and it says, like, what was it? Like, heads you live, tails you die. Uh, oh, okay. I think that, yeah, that's right. Because at that point, and at that point, you yeah, know, that's another, that's a good point to add because that's another element of, of choice. Because at that point, Harvey um, is trying to get rid of his get rid of his element of choice. Like he doesn't. I don't want to choose. I just want everyone to have the same chances of me, just fifty fifty. Um, right. Because like, as you put it, it's like that's the only thing that's fair is chance. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Two Face is also he. Two Face gets such overshadowed in that movie because of obviously Heath Ledger, but he is a still a very well-written villain, despite... He's only in it for, like... Well, he's in it for the whole movie, but actual just Two-Face is only in it at the very end. Um, Yeah. But he's still, like... Despite him having, like, little screen time as an actual villain, he still has a lot of memorable moments and scenes. Yeah, what was your favorite scene with, like, um, Two-Face, you think, then? I mean, probably if I thinking about probably the final one where it's like he has Commissioner Gordon and his kid and he's like just trying to describe his philosophy to him. Uh, That was a very that's kind of the climax of the movie. Um, And that's where you ultimately see like, you know, he really 
you know, it's shown that he, he went after some criminals and some other adults, but like, you really understand that he means everyone gets 50 50 when he does it with the kid. Um, yeah. So I think that's a very good, that's kind of when he officially is like, no, nah, I'm full blown villain. There's no redemption for me at that point. That's yeah. Weird. I thought that's a, that whole like last sequence is great too. Yeah. Like I, man. But, uh, but yeah, that the dark note, it is amazing. It's, a lot of people's favorite, but it isn't. It actually isn't the only. It's not what a lot of people think. It isn't the only uh, Nolan Batman movie. Um, how do you just? How do you think? Like, do do you enjoy the other two? Uh, like Batman Rises and I believe it's is it Returns. Um. So I I remember this. The first one was called Batman Begins. Oh, Batman Begins, and then the last one is Bat or Dark the Dark, Dark Knight, Knight Rises. Rises. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, I, uh, I, I, I rewatched Batman Begins like a few months ago and, uh, it's been a long time since I watched Dark Knight Rises and yeah. honestly, it's still no question that I think most people agree Dark Knight is still like the best one out of all three of them. Not He's that so the good. others are bad. It's just that like, they're nowhere near as well crafted yeah. as like the Dark Knight was. Yeah. I feel like the first one, it's a pretty, it's pretty standard all things considered for a batman origin movie because we've we've seen it so many times Um, yeah and it's kind of um and then the last one it's it's not bad i really enjoy tom hardy's bane um the owl catwoman probably gets put to the side and then the robin thing at the end really was just that felt very shoehorned in. You don't like him being named Robin Drew? I don't Come like on. that his that his legal name is Robin. Like I feel like that's that's really easy to track down. Like let's say he does actually start crime fighting like in this universe, but he goes by the name Robin. Like that's that's like if I went out crime fighting and was like, what's your superhero name? My name is Drew Brumfield. You'll never figure out my secret identity. Like, what? Yeah, that was like a bit too on the nose as far as Easter eggs. I think if they really want to do the reveal, they just should have said like, "Oh, it's like, is your what's your real name? It's like Grayson or something like that." Yeah. I think that would have had a much better impact than just like straight up like, "Yeah, my name is Rob." My name is Rob. And in the, the same, I, I guess the idea is like they didn't. They might have thought about that, but it's like, well, they might not know who Dick Grayson is, like a casual audience. But I feel like Batman is popular enough, or even like. Even if the casual fan doesn't get that, doesn't like take away from the movie, you could still, you could still infer that it's like, well, he's going to continue the legacy. I mean, if that if it's not if that scene isn't clear enough, the part where he finds the old bat cave, yeah, and, he literally it, he shows up. It, I just yeah. Which, by the way, I am. Um, I would say this much: if Nolan was back on board for it, I think I would have been down to see like just a Robin movie, even this Robin. iteration. Yeah, yeah, I think that would have been cool. I would honestly be fine just to avoid that really dumb idea if it was just a Nightwing movie. If he just skipped being Robin and was just like, "I'll be Nightwing." That's just, even better, honestly. Yeah, because yeah. I've always the thing with Batman and Robin, I have. Like, Robin's okay, but Nightwing is, like, one of my favorite DC um, characters. I think he's really interesting. I love the fact that, like, despite being, like, basically raised by Batman, he's still, like, joking and, like, kind of sarcastic, but not, like, in an annoying way. Yeah. Um, He was always, like, my favorite part of the old, like, animated series back in the day. And um, we haven't... We've never really seen... We've seen... Well, we've seen a Robin... Um, but that was back at Batman, Batman and Robin. We don't need to talk about that movie. You know, you're talking about like Nightwing and all this. I'm just surprised that your favorite Robin isn't Damian Wayne. I mean, like, I'm just, yeah, like what's wrong with you? Damian Wayne is obviously the way it's why we're going to shoehorn him into every DC property now. For those who don't know Damian, I really dislike Damian Wayne as a, I think he is very annoying. I hate the fact that he is. Incredible. He's just rude, and he always talks like, "Oh, I'm, I'm the best in the world." Which, like, I'm pretty sure every other Robin could beat you up, except maybe like, like Red Robin, who was like the one in between. 
Tim Drake and him. But he's it not. Could... He he's a... also edgy. He is Don't very forget. edgy. Yeah. Which I'm not. The... I'm fine with characters being a little edgy. You know, we are talking about Batman, so it's fine if they're a little edgy. I don't mind that. But he is just. That's all his character. It's just full on edge, 100% all the time. Nothing else. Sorry to subvert this into the Damian Wayne yeah, show, the, but you know it on, had to happen. The hate on Damian Wayne. Um, it's I just don't. I really hope that we do get. If I doubt Nolan, well, I know Nolan's not going to be the be the next Batman because it's someone else. It's going to be a Batters, Batterson, as people are calling him. Um, oh yeah. I I do hope we do get some form of a Robin or a Nightwing or just a good version of like some sidekick because none of the live action ones have uh, really done that justice but that'll be a whole we can do a whole episode on Batman and the the ups and downs that he's gone through in his career that should be good that'll I'd be, be down a, for that that'd be an interesting one maybe in the future um, but let's go on to Really what, the movie that kind of got Christopher Nolan on the map, what kind of made everyone look, and was like, oh, he is a, that's a director right there. Um, and this is actually only his second film he's ever done. Second one he's ever released. And it's 2000's Memento. Mm. Uh, me and Seth both recently watched this, so we have a fresh take on it little pun there i'm gonna get hate about that one uh, but yeah we both just watched this i thought it was good i was yes. really i i went into this completely blind the only thing i knew about it was like that's something to do with memory just because i know what the word memento means um and i've seen like the imagery of like the dude with like the tattoos all over his body um but i never I didn't expect it to be, it opened with the last part of the movie, and then it told the story backwards, which is a very, it's an interesting way. I can see how a lot of directors can do that, and would that would just be terrible. Like, that would just be the worst, it'd be confusing, but I think for the most part, pulled it off pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, I think I was kind of like you, where I didn't really come in with, like, any super high expectations of what to expect from this, but yeah, that it was crazy. Um, I, I think the, uh, the thing that stuck out to me is just like how much this was like a noir film. I don't know if you've watched many like noir type movies, but like, there's like little things where it plays into those kind of tropes, yeah. like um, switch into a black and white filter during certain sequences. Mm -hmm. um, the internal monologue is always kind oh, of yeah. present. Yeah, it's, that's a very noir thing, and just the whole detective drama um, side of it. But I thought it was rad. Yeah, yeah. like I thought the like that whole. That whole, like, movie is just, um, it's certainly kind of, like, a bit disorientating at first, but, um, I feel like at a certain point, it's like, oh, I think I get it now. Yeah, yeah I think I see why it's like that. Yeah, because the way you, the way you as an audience watch that for the first time, that's how, that's how he would figure out the world. Every new scene, you're looking around like, okay, where am I? What's happening? How is this? You know, and that's how he has to live his life. So it really does more than a lot of movies, it puts you in the shoes of this, of this guy, uh, which by the way, this is also like, it's not Guy Pierce's first role, but this is one of the first things that like kind of put him in the eye of everyone. It was like, Oh, this guy, this guy can act. Like, Oh yeah. Um, this is kind of what brought him in the map. But it was a I think, very, oh, yeah, sorry, uh, one thing, no, I think one thing we should probably add, um, for anybody listening to this, uh, just the, the main character of this, um, Leonard or Lenny, depending on who's talking to him. Um, he hates being called Lenny. Yeah, he doesn't like Lenny. Yeah. Uh, the reason why we're kind of talking about weird about like how the plot is going is because the character 
is not able to retain short-term oh, yeah. memory. I guess we should just because this one's not as well known. We probably should describe a little bit of the plot of this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The basic idea is he, at a certain point in his life, he lost the ability to regain new memories. So like every time he's talking in a couple of minutes, he'll just forget something. Um, and so he has to, he writes, he takes pictures of people that he meets and then writes their names and then little notes about them. Um, and then as, uh, as the story goes on, you kind of figure out more and more about what's happening in his life. Um, one of my favorite, like, one of my favorite scenes that really illustrated, like, the struggle of his life is really um, when he goes to the bar, or I guess the, the way the scene works out is he wakes up in the bar, wakes up, quotation marks, he realizes he's in there, and then is um, is talking to the bartender, and she's like, here's your drink. He drinks it, and everyone just, everyone just starts laughing at him. He's like, well, that was weird. And then later... Once that scene's over, the next scene happens, and then you realize that when he walked in the bar, no one believed his story, so everyone spit in the cup and then let him sit down, wait a couple minutes, and then went, and he just completely forgot he'd met these people. Like, to him, these are all total strangers. Yeah, that, that that's that's involving that one girl, um, yeah. Natalie. Natalie. I, I'm going to be honest, and I think this really good writing and acting on their part just about every scene with Natalie made me uncomfortable. Um, going to be real honest. Cause like she really would like at a certain point it became clear that she really would like manipulate his yeah. like condition. And it was so unnerving. Yeah. A really, no, yeah. I really another scene with him was she came in screaming and yelling and just saying every curse word at him in the books. And she's like, you're not going to remember this. He's like, Get, well, screw you. And he's like, no, I'm just going to take every pin in my house walk out the door and then come back in a couple minutes and you're going to be super sympathetic to me and really nice to me. And he was, as he did it. Cause when she walked through the door, that was the first time she ever, he ever met her. And yeah. And it's pretty much like that sequence was, and then it just shows like, Oh, she's using him to like get people off of her back to like either like hurt them or kill them or whatever. And it's like, Jesus, it's so, it, like once they like once Nolan starts running with like the concept of like okay what yeah. is it like for like a person like this to have like short term memory loss and seeing what people do to him it's devastating honestly yeah. it's very it's a very interesting and you know an interesting concept won't make a movie and I've seen it happen with a bunch of other um, films where it's like that's a very interesting concept but it's just it doesn't work in execution. Um, I wish I could give a more, like, detailed answer, but I can't think. I guess it would be more like, if you ever watch, like, a Black Mirror episode, it's like, that's a really interesting concept. But I don't know where they would take it if it wasn't just, like, a a small, like, 30, maybe 20-minute episode. But this, instead, he takes that concept and then really expands upon it and really shows, like, this is the full brink of, like, what this would, what this would do to a person like how people could manipulate this uh yeah i mean really interesting and it's honestly after i watched it i almost wanted to uh, i almost wanted to go back and just watch it basically backwards just to be like All right, this was actually what happened chronologically yeah and i think it would be i think it's cool because like it's it's again that logic puzzle thing where you're just trying to like decipher where this movie's going yeah. i think the thing that no one's like really good at is um is base is like he really like I, we'll probably get into this also a little bit later too but like especially with seems his movies his characters may not be his strongest point but his plot is yeah. like like the way he like messes with time like i think that's a major theme with him is like the way he messes around with time and how plot is perceived is so interesting and weird. Yeah. Well, major element, I think I know what you're getting into, because that's kind of like, because that's a theme that carries into even the, well, actually, I know it's a theme in every other movie other than Dark Knight, uh, but especially in uh, the next one we're going to talk about, Inception. Um, oh, yeah. 
which for a while for a while inception was like my favorite movie like i um i'm a really big i really like leonardo dicaprio i think he's one of the best actors and i watched this and i was like this is so i'm so confused about what just happened but i know it was awesome it's got <laughs> some of my yeah it, uh, it's got some of my best like my favorite actors like joseph gordon Ledin, let it ellen page like they were and tom hardy as a side character which it was really it's inter- that's it's a really entertaining movie to watch just as a oh just kind of a dumb action movie uh but then you also but it's also not dumb it is very intelligent it's got very smart themes and a lot of you know for being an action movie a lot of this movie is people sitting around and just talking about what this like what this dream inside of a dream um experiment or idea is by the way for those of you who don't know what inception is the whole idea is they're trying to implant memories in someone and there's a device that allows people to go inside of dreams so that's a very so that's kind of the yeah very base idea of it yeah and like i'll be honest like it's been a while since uh i've watched inception i do remember enjoying it and although the details of the plot are kind of murky on me the just the visuals alone yeah. stick with me so much like i still remember uh the sequence where it's like leo's character is like first introduced into i believe ellen page about the concept yeah. of like entering dreams and he throws her kind of into the city that's like folding yeah. in on itself mm-hmm. I, I still remember that yeah. that's still like amazing to me that's kind of like the big trailer shot that's the big money moment uh and that's a really you know it's a really cool scene really shows off the tech one of my favorite like kind of like scenes like that where it just shows up well it's not even I guess it's not really tech because it is all practical, but I don't know if you remember the hallway fight. Um, oh, the hotel fight? The like, hotel where fight. In the... Yeah, where yeah I remember that. The character's name is Arthur, but Joseph Gordon led it fighting just a random, just a random bad guy. And the entire room is like gravity's messing up and the entire room is flipping on itself because they're, because in the real world, or I guess not, in the first dream, that's well, really weird describing the spot. In the first dream, there's a car flipping over on itself, but in the second dream, where they're in on itself, that's the entire world flipping around. And the way that, because I've seen that thing on how they actually had to shoot that, they had to build that entire like hallway in a giant circular, um, I guess, room and like lift it up by cranes and have the actor stand in there and actually perform the stuff. As the entire world was like shifting around, um, which is incredibly expensive to do <laughs> and very hard, but it looks amazing because it is practical. Um, that 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 is pretty that is pretty rad. Like I do actually remember that scene quite a bit because like he's also having to like keep his friends who are like going even further into the dream like hooked yeah. up to the machines, right? So he has to kind of like defend them, yeah. and it's just like. Yeah, that whole scene's amazing. That actually leads to, like, like I said, I don't remember too much, but I do remember, like, climaxes. You brought it up. It's kind of, like, most of the time where they go to another level of a dream is, like, when things are starting to get real bad in one other dream. Like, I believe the car crash sequence you're talking about is, like, in that first dream, they're about to go into the water, right? Yes. But But because of the way it works is every time you go deeper in a dream, Times your perception of time slows down, so you know you have more time the deeper you go. The payoff with that is amazing because, like, I think the thing that I most remember about that movie is I would say the climax of it is where everyone starts waking up. Yeah, like once time starts resuming and all of the dreams like starting to go normal as everyone's starting to wake up, I was like, that's really cool. It's like I think of the way to describe it. They're going to make the kicks they have to make the kicks the thing that jumps you back awake all happen at the same time um and this it's an issue i have with another one of his movies we'll get to that later on but this has a really good instance where there are three different action scenes happening and they're happening at different times like one is happening slower one's happening um 
slower than the last one's happening, even slower. But despite that, you still get an idea. And I don't, you know, it's I'm, it's really hard to write like that, having three different scenes going at different speeds and different times. But it's still, as you're watching that scene, you're not confused about where one group is, how much time is in one group. Um, but you understand what's happening at all the same time, despite them constantly going and messing with time. It still makes sense. Uh, and that's something right. I really like about that one. I have an issue with hmm. the way they do it in another one, but obviously I'll get to that. We'll get to that when we get to that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We will. Uh, but right now, you know, we, we won't talk too much on uh, this one, but uh, the next one is 2014's Interstellar, uh, which is obviously the one about the, the space movie, uh, as a lot of people put it. It is... Oh, what's his... Oh, I should have run down his name. McConaughey? Are you talking about the main Matthew actor? Matthew McConaughey, yes. I was Yes, it's Matthew McConaughey. Um and he has to it's actually kind of it was it's pretty relevant, all things considered. He has to travel to different worlds uh to find the next, you know, because Earth is dying, so he has to try and find the next best one. And they travel through a wormhole to try to I guess skip skip through space. Um that's also another one that messes with time as well not just in the final sequence but there's that really amazing uh moment where you know and he's describing um where it's like the an hour on this planet because of the way time and relativity works in space um an hour here is like i forget the exact time but like 30 years back home or like 10 years back home something like that so the idea is once they, they have to do what they do on that planet, you know, it's a fun action scene on the water world. But they, once they get off, he goes onto the modder and he just has to watch his daughter, like, grow up by herself through just, like, a series of Skype calls, basically. And he can't talk to her, he can't communicate with her. He's just slowly watching her grow up in the course of, like, five minutes for him. But that's her whole lifetime. It's a really, it's a really emotional scene. It's really well acted and well written, um, and that's really where the movie strives. Plus, it's the only movie that has um, real science. Like, I would very much re- recommend anyone who's interested in this movie watch. I believe it's called Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson and Bill Nye, and they go over like the real world science and how Interstellar uses it. Um, it gets, at a certain point, it does get a little contrived, especially at the end where it's like, you know, yes, technically we don't know what happens if you go into a black hole or like a wormhole collapsing on itself. But the, but the idea that it would send you back in time or into like a relativity idea where you could interact with your past self, it's very... That one's the only one where it's like, all right, that's kind of, that's a stretch. Everything (laughs) else that is based off real science um, and real mechanics, like a real scientist talked about that. Um, But definitely, if you're more interested in that, because I can't talk about that science stuff, I'm not smart enough. If you're interested in that, go check out that podcast. All right. Yeah. I think I might have to check it out now. That sounds pretty rad. Yeah. I do remember, um, like, wasn't it, like, because of the research that they did on, like, how they depicted the black hole um, in Interstellar, like, it actually helped lead to, like, certain research papers and stuff being, like, worked on that, like, because it was actually kind of accurate, or at least yeah. based on, like, the dimension of, like, what they were going for with it. It's based off real, at, at a certain point, based it's based off real like physics and science and then it's later it's based off theoretical physics and science because it's like well we don't know what happens in the middle of a wormhole we wouldn't know what happened if you actually put a person on this planet for too long um so it's like so i guess the idea is it 
people had those ideas before, but then this movie came out and kind of popularized it. And so it allowed people to kind of, it allowed more people to take an interest in it or take a second look at like, well, how, how accurate were we back then? Uh, I think is the idea. Hmm. So yeah, it's a very interesting movie, very smart movie. Um, there's a lot of science talk, uh, which I mean is that's the idea, and they try to dumb it down as much as they could, but it's still it's like, at a certain point, like people are talking, it's like, is this gonna be on the tests? Like I didn't, I need to back <laughs> that up. Like that's a little too much for me. How dare you make me watch a movie to learn, Drew? Yeah, <laughs> I'm so, sorry, man. Dude, space is interesting. Awesome. It, it's cool when I don't have to do the physics behind it. Yeah, well, I mean, they do the physics for you, and they'll tell you ah. that. You can just ignore it. You just be like, oh, yeah, sure. Why not? Which is what nah, a lot I, of people did. Don't worry. I prefer my uh, my sci-fi with, uh, like, Star Wars, where it's just, and none of it makes any sense. Oh, Space Wizards. Hey, man, I, yeah, love was, good, I, I love good Space Wizards, but I'm not, that's not accurate. Or, like, bombs, like, falling like there's gravity in space. Like, I, I like that. It's like, give me that. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I prefer that. All right. Um, well, if you prefer... Well, going to a, a more realistic one, um, probably, I'd say, yeah, this is the last one that we'll probably talk about. 2017's uh, Dunkirk. Which mm. is... This is probably... Um, I'd say his most divisive one of the ones we're going to talk about. I think it might be his best performing one too, wasn't it? Like, I think it actually did really well in the box office. I don't have any numbers to back it up. I'm just kind of, I'm just going off know. of hearsay from what I remember. Possibly. I'm not sure. I don't know. I, a lot of his movies did well, but I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Um, all I know is... I have issues with this movie personally. Yeah, you've been holding on to these grievances for three years now. It's time to get yeah. them out. All right. So, okay, look, I don't dislike this movie. I want to point that out before I start ranting on it. It's not bad. It's very good and it's unique for a war movie. The issues I have with it is I'm looking at the main character right now. I could not tell you his name. Like after I watched that movie, and I could, if you point him next to the rest of the cast, I would have no idea who he is. When you say main character, which one? Also, yeah, there's okay. first off, yeah, but like the on the ground level story where it's the troops. Mm -hmm. Every single actor in that looks exactly the same. Like there's one point where they're like he's the French guy and he's the guy. It's like wait, wait, who are you pointing at? I don't know who you're talking about. Like. All of the actors look, and that's a kind of a small thing, uh, but I'll get to larger points, but it's very, this whole movie, more than any of his movies, which is very confusing. Um, on the ground level, I got confused about that. And for the other two, because there's, there's the ground level, there's the ship, I'm calling them levels, I don't know why. There's the ground story the ship story where people are trying to get supplies and get people out of the, out of that beach, just random civilians. And then there's the plane. Um, for me, the plane's the most interesting part, but it's still, it's like if the whole movie was based around the inception idea of all of them are working on different times. And it's really confusing at some points where they are in, like, the timeline. Like, I would almost prefer it if it was more straightforward, where it's, like, we saw we saw the ground level, and that finished completely, and then we saw the ship, and that finished completely, and then we saw the plane, and that finished completely. Because um, at certain points, the plane will get to its action scene a lot faster than the people on the ground or maybe the people on the ground are dealing with it and the people on the boat are just like just now leaving. And I get that you're all that you're trying to set up that it's all going to collide at the end and they're all going to meet each other. But for me it was really it was really confusing and hard to watch. Um and through a lot of a lot of it there wasn't too much that actually 
least nothing I can remember. There wasn't too much that was actually happening throughout the whole movie. It was, you know, the boats trying to get there, the people on the land are just waiting, waiting for something to happen, trying to leave early. But then the ship, that every time there was, you went, you cut back to the, I say ship, the, every, the plane, every time we cut back to the plane, there was something interesting happening. Um, so it was also a case of like one story is catching my attention a lot more, but you keep cutting away from that back to the other two. Right. Yeah. I think, I think here's how I'm going to counter your argument. Um, because I know you focus a lot on like, basically there's like certain sequences and plot lines where there's just not much going on. It's not very interesting to watch. And like, for the most part, I agree with it, especially I'm going to use the ground troops as an example, because they probably exemplify this the most where a lot of it is just them standing around waiting for something to come help them waiting for something to happen. Right. Like, that's yeah. most of their narrative. I think, though, that's probably... Now, you can argue, like, whether this has any place in movies, but I think that's probably the most authentic detail of, like, what war basically is. If you read up on, like, certain accounts from, like, um, people who, you know, went to war, like, maybe World War Two or Vietnam, or even, like, more recently, like, in, like, Middle East, like, in the past, like, 20, 30 years, um, a lot of their experiences they talk about is... It's very long periods of boredom with very fast but short and violent interludes. Hmm. And I feel like with the ground troops, it, it makes that point. It punctuates it so well. Like one of the scenes, I, the, it's actually one of the first scenes, if I remember correctly, is the scene where all the troops are lined up on the beaches and they're just waiting for the boat. And the guy has to go basically do his business in the bushes. And when the planes come in, like when they start bombing the beach with all the troops just lined up there and everybody just has to hit the dirt and hope they don't get hit. Like to me, that was like super tense to watch and I loved it. And I think it's because like it shows kind of how helpless that they are in this situation. Yeah, um, just sitting ducks basically waiting to get slaughtered. The one point I would agree with though, is I would argue that I like the ground troop plotline. I like the air plotline, especially well, that's probably like my favorite one. Yeah. I will agree with you on one thing. The guys on the boat that are coming in, I could have done without. Like, the little boat with the civilians, yeah. I could have done without that whole part. Yeah. At the very, I feel like that. that's at least, like... That's, like, a scene at the beginning, and then, like, you, you set up that scene, and then later you just skip everything, in the middle, and then later, maybe at the very end, you show them again. And that's it. Right. You don't need anything else for them. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I just didn't find. I won't, and I will say that is a. I'm not gonna. As I said earlier, it's a good movie. It does have good scenes like that where it does uh, show that it's like, oh yeah, they're they're just waiting to get they're just waiting to get bombed basically until the ships come. Um, mm. but for me, it's just it never. You know, I mean, being more realistic doesn't always make it doesn't always make a movie better. Um. That is based, true. If everything was based off real life, then why would we even have movies? Um, I just... Um, so I think you are, and especially with a movie like that, you are able to have some creative liberty to add something more interesting, or maybe just tell the story in a way where it's... You can... Um, I'm trying to describe this well. You can still have, you can still like emphasize that it's like this is taking a while, but have us like, I guess something else to look forward to instead of just sitting there waiting. Um, I don't know. This is me just spitballing at this. No, I I get what you're saying because like I think that's something you and me when we contend with movies. I think our difference of opinions is like how much should the director make an audience wait for the payoff of something. Yeah. Like you and me have both very different opinions on like when that yeah. payoff should be. Yeah, we've had we've had countless arguments where it's for me the way I look at movies, I will always try to look at movies as a whole, um, and I will try to judge it how how much was I entertained at the beginning and the middle and at the end, and is that does that make it a good movie? Like for the best example I can think of other than this would probably be our opinions on um, 2014's Godzilla. Where it's, I didn't enjoy that movie as well because 
everything before the last like 30 to 20 minutes I was so bored with. I was like, stop cutting away from the monster. That's why I bought a ticket. Like, please show me Godzilla. And then but the last 30 minutes was great, but that doesn't make a good movie for me. It makes a good last 30 minutes. Yeah. And um, for me, I enjoyed it as a whole because I like the buildup and the payoff. That's, that's just me. But like, I love it whenever a movie like takes its time, really bothers to like flesh out its world and like set the scene before the big fight. Cause then it just makes it all the better, at least in my eyes. But at the same time, I get it. Yeah. That's basically putting like, you got to wait two hours before you get to the really good part is a bit asking. Yeah. Much. That's, <laughs> and that's, that's kind of where I am. I, I do see your point. I get it. Cause I would, cause there are good. There are movies like that, that are, they have really good payouts, but it's just, can I just skip that? Like for me, I'm always like, "Where's the fast forward button?" Maybe that's just <laughs> me being. Maybe I'm just impatient. <laughs> that's just, that's my excuse for it. Um, I will say that you're not wrong because, like, we talked about like 2014 Godzilla, and even with Dunkirk, yeah. sometimes it is asking maybe a bit too much of the audience. Because, like, uh, as much as I love Dunkirk and I will defend it, I will have to agree. Like, there are certain points where it really pushes the limits of like what the audience can take. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and this is also something that I don't just, I know personally we have argued about it before. Uh, so it is the most recent, like, uh, this is what is Dunkirk World War II? I'm not. Yeah, Dunkirk okay. is World War II. And, and so is 1917. I'm not, it wouldn't be. Mm, no. That, that's World War One, isn't it? That is World War One, yeah. War. Okay. Well, it'd be a little weird to compare, but still. Um, well, I, I will. I will say this much: it's not completely because, like, they're both war movies. They're both like yeah. somewhat recent in the public eye. Yeah. And both of them both sport very different directing or like styles. Yeah. Like you know, with Dunkirk, it's like the way they do time and how that's perceived, and you know, well, I'll, I'll leave you to talk yeah. about 1917. Yeah, well, they've also both, both these movies also have very, um, they don't have many, like, oh, I've got to say that, Tom, um, Tom Hardy is in Dunkirk, but, uh, I believe he's the pilot. But they yeah. both have main characters that are pretty, like, no-names, or, like, unknown actors, um, uh, that are just, and so I, f I feel like that's better for war movies when you don't have a big celebrity. Because you're not, because at that point you're not going. Oh, there's, um, they, uh, look, there's a what's his name? I'm trying to think. There's Leonardo DiCaprio fighting Nazis. Like, no, now you're thinking like, there's some guy. Like that could be my neighbor. That could be me. Um, mm -hmm. That's something I do think. I enjoy it in 1917 because it's only two people and they look different and have very distinct personalities. But in Dunkirk. You really only you get one guy's personality, and then you get the guy that doesn't talk. But you also have all these other these this like group of guys that are on the beach, and I've said this before. They look the same, so like I, I for one, I forget which one of you is the main character, and you don't really get from the main character. You don't really get much from him either. You don't really get him talking, so you can't identify with them as much because like I don't know who these guys are. I guess the and I I think the idea is you're supposed to be like this could be anyone you could be that guy, um, yeah. But I think that I like it more in 1917, and mostly because since the camera doesn't it doesn't it doesn't cut other than like a few times and they're all hidden, you feel like you're like the third guy. You don't feel like you're them. You feel like you're with them. Mm -hmm. I think um, it's funny that you mentioned about like like having like for, except for Tom Hardy being really the only like real big name recognizable yeah. actor in Dunkirk. It's funny that you mentioned that because it's Tom Hardy once again wearing a mask. So yeah, it's like you can barely see him. Which what is which is what he also did to him in Dark Knight Rises. Just like oh, we have a pretty recognizable actor. Let's put him behind that mask. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Tom Hardy's actually been in like. He's just in a lot of these other than, like, Inception's the only one that you'll recognize him in. <laughs> you can see yeah, his whole face. Um, also, I believe he was one of the, the weird aside, I think another time when he was put in a mask was in The Last Jedi. I think he was a stormtrooper, if I remember correctly. Oh, wait, I think you're... Was that or that might have been Force... 
I think no, it was like was... I, no, I know it was no, I was I know it was Tom it was Hardy. Force Awakens. It but Force yeah, that Awakens. I was actually yeah, that's Force Awakens it's where the, he's like the stormtrooper. It's the trooper that's actually holding Ray guard, and she goes like, "Leave the door, drop your blaster." And it's like, "What did you say?" He's like, "Leave the door," and then he does it. He's like, "I dropped your blaster." I'm like, by dropping blaster, and then he walks away. That's Tom Hardy. In that's the extent of him. I love yeah. that. That's good. I do like that he just will take on. He'll have big roles, but then he'll sometimes just be like, no, I don't want people to know it's me. I wonder if how we got in that movie is, does he have a relationship with Abrams at all? Because I can't think of many Abrams movies that he's ever been in. Mm. Like, don't. you you watch Mission Impossible, like, unlike me. Is no. he in any of those? No, he's not in any of those. Um, he's not in any of the Star Treks. I don't know. I mean, maybe he's just a Star Wars fan. Could be, that could be it too. Could just be, yeah, he just like I want to be a Star Trek. We're like, okay, you're Tom Hardy, so I guess we can't say no. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. Getting back to 1917, uh, I just like for me, from moment one of that movie, it just kept, and I was just so interested in that movie. I was, I love. First off, I'm a huge cinematography fan, and both these have great, but 1917 blows it out of the water. 1917 has such good cinematography. It is beautiful to look at. Um, and the fact that it doesn't cut is really hard to do just on a technical level. And they pulled it off like almost perfectly. It's just, it's very interesting to look at. You really, for me, I got the sense that I was in that, I was in that battlefield. I was in that war zone more than in Dunkirk where I was like, I'm just watching the guys sit on beach. Yeah. yeah, and and and, and I, what I'll say is this: I wasn't so warm on 1917. I still liked it, but I did found that, like, to me personally, I felt like the like the plot was sort of compromised at the expense of the the way it was shot. Um, basically, I felt the like if you just look at the plot itself without like just focusing on the the way the cinematography and the camera shots worked, I, admittedly. I got kind of bored with it, uh, or rather, not bored with it, but so much that I found myself like too much into the shots. I was just trying to find things like where I could see the cuts to the point where I was the plot just didn't seem to matter as yeah. much. Not to mention, it hit a lot of tropes that I've seen in a lot of war movies. I'm just like, you know, I, I've seen it before. I don't really care for it. Like the sequence where he's talking with the one lady that's hiding out in her basement from like the German army, and I've seen that sequence before. I'm pretty sure that's in a lot of. I'm pretty yeah. sure I've seen that. Se- I'm pretty sure Dunkirk had a sequence like. Well, not, it wasn't a French woman, but it was one of the French soldiers who they're trying to. Commit. Yeah, the, and it's like the whole thing is like, oh, they don't understand what they're saying to each other, yeah. and they're just trying to. And it's just like I've seen this before. Like it's it's in like every war movie out yeah. there. I didn't, and like you know, I will say this. Um, I can't remember the name of the actor. I wish I could, but the one who like has to pretty much carry this movie for the most of it. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. No, yeah, um, the one character. Like, no, we. Uh, it is. Uh, his name's Jordan McKay. Uh, his name's George McKay. That's right. George I remember McKay, him. Yeah. Uh, he was the scientist in Pacific Rim, actually, or one of. Uh, Oh, I believe. I think you're the, right. He was the yeah. He was the German son. That's oh, weird. He, yeah, no, he was. He was just, yeah. He was the one with like the cane. Um, Dude, I completely forgot. Yeah. He, you know what? Good on him. He completely is transforming this movie. Yeah. Um, good on him. But beyond that, I found like the plot was just. I don't know. I just. I kind of saw everything that was kind of coming, in my opinion, and it's just like I will say this: the shock sequences do a really good job of up in the intensity. But it was a bit too predictable for my taste. I think that's the reason I like uh, Dunkirk more. It's just because, like, yes, there are a lot of sequences where it's kind of boring and stuff like that. But it also had, like, a lot of unique things where it took, like, simple ideas and made them tense. Like, one of my favorite scenes in Dunkirk is the pilots. Where, um, I believe it's just after they get into a fight and then, like, Tom Hardy's character is flying solo now... And it's when the sound of the engine goes out because he's out of fuel. And just that alone just like really just up the tensity for me. And I love that. Yeah. I didn't really get that feeling quite as much in um, in 1917. I, I think I disagree on every level. Um, oh, boy. 
in in 1917 almost from like the second they i felt like it was a little bit when they were going through no man's land but it wasn't it wasn't until like they hit the underground caves and then just out of nowhere they're like oh shoot and then there's just an explosion because they hit a boot trap and to me ever since like then that was like i was on the edge of my seat um because it's like from there they'll walk a little bit and then after that it's um you know spoilers for the movie but there's the plane crash and then he's they try to help the guy but his his friend dies and now he's alone well he, he gets the group and then he's alone and from there it's just you know like you say it's predictable i never i didn't really see a lot of that coming i didn't expect them to kill off the number two guy i mean you didn't know it was the number two guy until then um that fast and i didn't you know like yeah i mean that that one scene with the girl yeah that was kind of i've seen it before but it was just i was really i was really entertained through it all um i guess i will agree it's not the most complicated plot but i don't think it needs to be i don't think that's fair yeah i don't think every movie needs to be memento um (laughs) and have a lot of twists and turns it makes you think it's like no i think i'm i was very entertained and i was um i was thrilled like um I still got surprised, like when, um, he's just he's just like com- almost dead and just floating down the river. He's just walking. He just hears someone like singing. He just sits down just to catch his breath for a minute. That is one of the more weirder, but like kind of neat scenes. I will give that much. That one I didn't see coming. But like things like the trap, for example. As soon as I saw a big rat in the tunnel, I got flashbacks to like all the Vietnam movies I've ever seen with like the Viet Cong and traps where a rat sets it off. That's a that's a pretty common trope. There's a pretty common trope there in like a lot of like Vietnam films. As for like the plane crashing, as soon as I saw like the German pilot was alive, I knew there was going to be trouble. When a German survives, there's always going to be something bad happen. Saving Private Ryan is a good example. Yeah. Remember where like the he the guy talks and like, oh, we we should let him go. I knew it was like that's going to come back and you know really yeah. mess things up. What, what were they supposed to do? Paint the Germans in a positive light? Were you crazy? <laughs> I, I'm not saying they should, yeah, no. but at the same time, I knew what they were going to do with this. It's just like okay, I kind of I've kind of see where this is going. I didn't I think now I will say this much. I didn't expect them to die from it, but I did know something bad's going to happen now because the German lived. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. I could see, you know, when there's like a dog fight over there, it's like, well, yeah, that's going to come to them, obviously. But I still, I was still surprised by it. Um, yeah. I don't see, how I will you say, see, I don't see how you see a rat in a tunnel and just be like, oh, that's going to blow up. It's like, well, well, maybe no, that's just me. Maybe I just haven't seen enough. I just haven't seen enough war movies. I just haven't gotten You got to. Yeah. Um, if you watch like any Vietnam movie, there's always like, I'd say in almost every one of them, there's always like a claustrophobic scene where they have to go clear out the Viet Cong tunnels and they always put traps in the tunnels. According to the movies, and I guess a little bit to real life, there's always traps in the tunnels. And like if there's a rat, it's going to set it off. Um, I've I've just I've seen that kind of thing before. And but I will say this much, though, one of my favorite scenes, it's actually like one that I think gets overlooked a little bit. My second favorite, I will throw this, my second favorite one is the one where he's running through the city and, like, it's just the flares of lights that are yeah, guiding him. I'm talking can, about 19... Yeah, you're talking about 1917. That's all you can see is just flares and the silhouettes. My, that's my second favorite scene. My first favorite scene, actually, is just because of how simple it is, is the one where he just arrives at the city's edge of the ruins and where he gets attacked by the German sniper, and he has to go after him. Oh, yeah. The transition scene where he gets knocked out, and it's suddenly dark, yeah. and there's, like, a pool of blood, like, That's behind his head. Only, yeah. That's the only, like, real cut in the movie. Like, there are obviously, the way you film that, for anyone that doesn't know, there are cuts in the movie. It's just at any point, if they turn a corner, and, like, for, like, a frame, or, like, they might, uh, someone's shoulder might get in the way of the camera, for, like, a frame of blackness, there's a cut. That's where they can actually stop filming and then like reset everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the only where it's like that's a hard fade to black. And yeah, so that that really just like threw everyone in the theater. I was like, oh my gosh, did the I, end? Like, <laughs> I love that scene because 
to me, that was the one that was also one of the few times they really caught me off guard. And it felt so disorientating when you came back to it. And it's just yeah. dark and you can barely make things out at first. I was like, it's kind of like when you take a nap. I, I, I'm not going to equate brain trauma with taking a nap. <laughs> but Where you take a um, nap and you're like, oh, I'm just going to take like a, an hour, two hour nap. And you wake up and it's like night and you're like, what day is it? Yeah. Where am I? That was the most immersive part of the movie to me because I was like, yeah, I've been there. I know what that's like. I love that scene. That's like my favorite one in the movie. Yeah. That's pretty good. All right. Well, uh, I would like to talk more about it, but we're starting to, we kind of went over, but we're starting to wrap up on time. Um, before we go, though, we're going to do one of my favorite segments, the Fresh Picks of the Week. Um, I'll go first because I made you go first last time, I believe. Sweet. Uh, and so this is a segment of the show where we just talk about where we've been watching, listening to, or playing, um, especially in these past, these you know, little past quarantine days. Pretty useful. Um, so for me, um, I'm going to go with actually a video game. And um, I, don't, I know a lot of people aren't into fighting games, um, but with Evo, that was, or Evolution, which is the biggest fighting game tournament in the world. It was supposed to happen um, last week, like last weekend, but unfortunately didn't uh, for obvious reasons. Um, and but they had to change it to be online based, and they added a few new games on it. One of them was my pick. It's Skullgirls, and I recently picked it up because it was on sale uh, on the Switch, and I was like, you know, I'm starting to get into fighting games that looks interesting. It has been really fun to play. The art style is just beautiful. Um, Lab Zero is probably the entire game is hand drawn, which if you know anything about game design, that's impossible to do. But they did anyway, especially with a fighting game, which is really hard. Um, it's just really impressive that it's like this is their first like major game that they've ever done, and they just it's one of the best American-made fighting games, and it has one of the best onlines ever, which is pretty hard to do for a fighting game since all your inputs have to be very precise and accurate. Um, so if you're, it's hard to get into, but if you're ever interested in, you know, looking at fighting games or you, maybe you decide to go watch Evo and you're like, Hey, that's girl, school girls game. looks really fun and interesting. Uh, it's on the Nintendo switch. And I highly recommend um, checking it out. It's been really fun to play. Actually, I was going to ask you about that. I started looking into school girls a bit. There is something called, um, because I don't really have a system played on except maybe PC. Um, yeah, there is PC. a game, yeah, there's a game called it's on, it's on PS4, I believe, too. Yeah, I believe it might be. Um, but there's a game called Skullgirls Mobile that's on iOS and Android, yes. and I think I think that's free. Is that have is that yes. really like it is the same a, people? Um, and so what that one is, I haven't really played it myself, but it's just kind of like, you just kind of go, you go around and you can play as the characters and just fight little grunts. Uh, but what's interesting about that one is uh, that's in those games, there's actually more lore if you want to learn about it. It's not a big cast, but if you want to learn more about like the cast of characters, like you're really interested, it's like, I want to learn the lore of this world. I want to really dive into it. You go to the mobile game. The mobile game, not only has original art, it has a lot of original stories and like kind of gives you the background uh, for a lot of these characters. Hmm. I might check it out then, honestly. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of interested. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's a very, you know, it's, a, it's not the best story I've ever seen, but it's still, it's got some interesting points and just really, character designs are fantastic. All right. Um, you have a fresh pick of the week, Seth? Fresh pick. Uh, I'm more of a game dude. I think most people know that by now. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, mine's going to be a game too. Weirdly enough, it's going to be it's going to be one that I hope a few people have heard of. Uh, Transformers Devastation. Well, you know, I, um, yeah. I know you've heard of it, and yeah. I'm glad you have. I, so, I, think it, I think it was me that showed you. It was me and our friend Luke uh, that were like, Seth, you need to play this game. It's amazing. Yep. And I picked it up like a hard copy of it a few years ago and I kind of touched it a bit, didn't really mess with it until this past week and I've been really digging it. It's like 
it's so it's a transformers game that as far as i know like one of the only ones that really sticks with the g1 art style and it has like this really pretty cel-shaded graphics yeah. g1, um, the g1 art style for the anyone that doesn't know that's like he's saying first generation that's like the first right. like 90s cartoon like they look like that um they it's amazing. It looks so good. The animation's very like fluid in it, and the combat system was made by Platinum Games, who made other games like Bayonetta, Nier Automata, uh, Vanquish, Wonderful 101. So yeah, they're good. Yeah, it's really I good. I haven't seen a I haven't seen a Platinum game that they've done bad. Uh, they're one of my favorite studios. I have all, I also love this game. Um, I grew up with Transformers. Um, and I found this game a while back, and it has just been, it was just so much fun playing through it. Um, it's five unique characters. They all play differently. Um, and it's just, if you if you like action games, or if you really, or if you like Transformers in any capacity that isn't Michael Bay, um, <laughs> go, go check this game out. It's, it was really fun. Even if you're not a Transformers fan, and you're just an action game fan, Pick this up. Pick it. it's, good. it's good. It'll make you like Transformers. Trust me. It's, <laughs> it's so good. Um, now, I'm going to use this part to the, also add another little thing and maybe vent a bit of my bus- uh, frustration with it. It's nothing to do with Platinum. They're great. They're perfect. Um, it's to do with Activision, the publisher behind these games. Oh, yeah. So if you are interested in checking out Devastation, unfortunately, you're going to need to find a hard copy. Uh, yeah. For some reason, a few years back... Uh, Activision decided to basically pull pretty much all their licensed games from online stores. Uh, so it's not just Transformers, although pretty much the whole Transformers license is now like impossible to get a digital copy of. But it's also like other things, like a Legend of Korra game uh, that At- Platinum also made. There was a THB and Ninja Turtle game, I believe, that also that happened too. Yep, those are gone too. So unfortunately, because of Activision... If you're interested in these games, you're going to need to find a physical copy. That's gonna and if you do have a physical copy, count yourself lucky. Yeah, count yourself lucky, and then maybe try to sell that, because that's probably rare now. <laughs> that's probably yeah. a lot of money. Um, but that's all, you know, other than financial advice, I guess. That's all the time that we got today. Uh, I want to thank Seth again for joining us on this podcast. It was a lot of fun. Really liked arguing with you about Dunkirk. Uh, you're still wrong, by the way. Uh, but anyway, uh, thanks. I want to thank everyone for watching and stay safe out there.